taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Excellent, so. So you are indeed at the dopest church on the planet and we do dope things. And today we are titling this experience, One Mic, Easter in Poetry and Prose. And so we're gonna now go into this segment of service that I'm super excited about. We've got some storytellers that are gonna share their story of the ways in which they have encountered Jesus Christ in their lives. And then we have with us special guest, poet Jasmine Sims. Give it up for all of them. And so I want y'all to give like encouragement and smiling faces and all of that. We put out a call just uh, just a few weeks ago, just saying, hey, if there are any members who would be down with sharing their stories, right, their encounters with Jesus, let's do it in storyteller fashion. And so Nissa stepped up to the plate, Joel stepped up to the plate, and I'm excited about the stories that they have to tell. They connected with a coach this week to talk through their stories. They are not typically people who are, excuse me, who are on stage. So I need y'all to give them smiling faces, encouragement, and all of that stuff um, as they come. So welcome Nissa and Joel to tell their stories. Thank you so much for opening the door and keeping the door open and just allowing God to work. I'm Nissa Bolden Stone, and this is my brother, Joel. Joel. Okay. So we're going to share ladies our encounter first, with Christ. Yes, ladies <laughs> first. So, of course, you know, you keep a little notes just in case, right? Um, but this has been a journey, right? Um, so, uh, title of mine is amputation surrender but god <laughs> so on september 16th 2022 my husband rolled out of the bed and died an amputation a life amputation and oftentimes i wonder what it would feel like or how i could express it right and the very real reality is, what it feels like is, it's almost as if someone has cut my arm off, but my body still functions as if my arm is still there. But it's not. But God. Right? And I'm gonna say it again, but God. Right? So, 48 hours later, I'm pacing the floor and I'm asking God this question, what do I do and how do I weather this storm? And God says, surrender. I said, but I've already done that. Now mind you, beforehand, two days before, I bargained with God. Keep my husband here and it's gonna be right. I can do this, God, and God says no. I bargain again, God says no again. Voice so clear, it would be fearful to me if I hadn't heard his voice before. 
and he said, surrender. So in my war room, and on my knees, I hollered and I screamed, and I said, thy will be done. Not for me, but for your glory, but God. Right? And so in that moment, God says, if you surrender to me, I will take care of everything that you need from here on out. I thought we had us a great relationship before. It's been an even greater one. One that has been filled with pain, but also understanding the very real reality of healing. And that healing only comes when we surrender. I can't be the physician. That's God's job. I can't make my arm feel better and this amputation happen. That's God's job. But God. So in that moment of surrender, I took a deep breath after barely being able to breathe and crying, and we all know what it's like to do our full official ugly cry, right? And literally, our lives are shaken to the core. And to understand that God is the reason I'm here before you today, that encounter to surrender is why I'm here today. Not losing my mind because we all know and we've all been in love. Somebody leaves us, our world shifts and changes. And sometimes we can't wrap our mind around what it feels like to be without someone. But I'm trusting God, knowing that God is a healer, knowing that God's grace is sufficient. His love is unyielding, but at the same time, I'm hurting, and I'm well, and that's crazy, right? To be hurting, but well. My mind is well because of God. So in that encounter of surrender, I've learned something. When God speaks, we don't get the opportunity to say no. When you're in the posture of surrender, the answer is yes. It's amen. It's thank you, God, even when it doesn't look like what we think it should be. God was in the midst of the surrender, but God. You ready? All right. Um, Y'all can hear me all right? That better? Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, as Pastor D has said, uh, I'm not usually one to take the stage. Um, I, I like to uh, express myself in other ways. Um, going off of surrendering and, and uh, hearing God's message, um, it was August 25th, uh, 2019, um, the first day that I really, as an adult, heard God's voice. Um, I woke up that morning uh, with a grin um, that some sinners might know. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to put it. Um, but, you know, I was uh, on a wave that um, I felt my timing was impeccable. I thought, you know, um, I was hitting my stride professionally. Um, just really finding joy in, in all the things that, you know, whether it's hooping with the fellas or um, just being around people that I considered family. Um, things were just clicking. The momentum was going and there was nothing going to stop me about my summer, about, uh, you know, the season that I was in at the time. But um, I woke up that morning and I, I took a bike ride and uh, it was just like, you know, everywhere I turned, God was speaking to me. I was uh, in a search for community in a way that um, I didn't know that I needed uh, until some people, you know, had reminded me about City Point, and um, you know, but I wasn't I wasn't paying attention to the to the call. And uh, when I was riding around town, uh, there's a statue on Michigan uh, of Jean Baptiste Point Um and that statue had flowers on it. Uh, I, the one day that I decided to ride, it was actually the day that. 
Um, the the Usaba Heritage Association was commemorating uh, the founder of the city. And, um, you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs and not necessarily surrounded by a lot of people that look like me um, or even understand my background and, and where my family's come from. Hi. <laughs> But that was a moment that kind of just stood out and kind of brought me back to life uh, in a way that was preparing me for, um, you know, a, a long winter. Um, that winter, uh, or prior to that winter, I had uh, lost my job. After four years, um, I, I just bought a condo and, you know, I was like, God, I don't know why. I don't know why you're doing this to me. Um, and I, and I was stuck on asking why um, and looking in the wrong places for, for the answers. And um, kind of going back to that bike ride, he, he brought me in front of the uh, Cancer Survivors Guild uh, over by Maggie Daly Park. Um, he was letting me know that, you know, I had to prepare myself for a season um, to be with my family, to be with my father, uh, who's passed. Um, but that was just preparation to, to know what my place and position was going to be and uh, where I needed to be. And that was at home with him, being a caretaker and uh, helping my mom um, give her strength during this season. And, uh, you know, still asking why. I was still asking, you know, how could I be on such a high and, and to feel like everything's being stripped away from me? Um, and it was because, you know, he was telling me that I needed to come back. I need to come back to him. And um, in that season, still, you know, still, uh, still trying to figure out why, still trying to see what my next step would be. And um, fortunately, I just remembered some friends that, uh, you know, had, had suggested City Point as a as a place um, to connect with like-minded individuals and uh, just to find community in the right community. Um, and uh, fortunately. You know, it was a couple of months before COVID. There was a community group here, and um, you know, I felt like a home. I felt, you know, hearing not only just the gospel music and um, seeing beautiful faces and, and friendly smiles that this was going to be my place. And um, fortunately, I uh, I attended and rediscovered how to pray um, and, and praising Him through all the highs and the lows, uh, repenting and atoning for all of my sins. And, uh, you know, asking, um, not necessarily, uh, well, just asking him directly and, and getting back into the, into the word. And the, the word that I kind of came across um, is uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, that is why, for Christ's sakes, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And uh, I, you know, was able to reflect on these words throughout um, these last few weeks and uh, just know that, you know, I'm in the right place and I still have to trust my timing um, because, you know, through all the highs and the lows, he, he's been pruning me, he's been shaping me for, for my next steps and my next days and uh, giving me a foundation to stand on and that I needed so critically in my life. So that's my story. Let's give it up for them one more time for being willing to be vulnerable to share their stories. We're going to come back with some music now, and then we're going to go into our poet, and then after that, we will jump into the word in prose. All right? All right. Amen. Amen. The importance of keeping Jesus at the center is what even our poets focus on. Even if we have to regroup to come back. Right? It's one of my favorite songs. It reminds me of that. And this is what it says you are. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. 
nothing in this world will do. Christian poetry that you will ever see. Um, and so for those of you that are not up on it, um, as Biggie would say, if you don't know, now you know. You will definitely feel that way after you hear her. Um, so do me a favor, give her a big, big City Point sign of welcome as she comes, Jasmine Sims. Hey church. Jasmine Sims. I'm going to do a spoken word piece for you all. If you like something I'm saying, let me know. If you don't like it, but you want to support me, I'll take that as well. I need the energy. Amen. And happy he got up day. I don't know about y'all, but I'm real glad that man got about that too. Good morning. Good morning. This morning will not know the weight of grief, will not taste the bitter sting of death. This morning will only taste the sweetness of good news. But before we celebrate, I would like to acknowledge the audacity of the grave, how the earth trembled in his failed attempts at swallowing the body that spoke it into existence. The audacity of this sin, thinking it could inhabit my king and make him lose every breath as if every breath in this room is not hanging on his word, giving our lungs the reason to move and breathe. It is in him that we have our being. The audacity of the darkness to think that he could consume this conquering king and his light not travail, his light not travail. I think the grave forgot that Christ be the resurrection and the life. That is to say where he is, is life. Be it a cemetery, a grave, or a borrowed tomb, he is the resurrection and the life. That is to say wherever he is, is life. Be it your decaying hope, your wilting praise, your conquering sins, wherever he is, is life. Is he not deserving of resurrected palms and a boisterous praise? Is, is he not worthy of a worship that has a pulse? Wherever he is, is life. Be it your faltering marriage, your wayward children, wherever he is, is life. He is the resurrection and the life. This is not some annual day of full colors and full bellies. This is every single day of our life. His love is everlasting because he is everlasting. His, his grace is sufficient because the cross couldn't crush it. His blood still works because the grave couldn't consume him. He is the resurrection and the life. So my praise will always be loud like black folk. My worship gonna always stump and clap because it got breath in its body. My praise gonna always shout to the heavens. The angels will flap their wings at my worship because my worship got a pulse. I've never in my life prayed to a God with ears carved from stone. He is the resurrection and the life. I've never bowed down to a God 
God who couldn't cut through earth and come see about me. He closed the mouths of lions and he shut the mouth of the grave. I, I, I don't know what it's like to bow down to a God carved from stone. Mine got skin that the grave couldn't decay. Mine got a heart that the grave couldn't swallow. Mine got feet that the tomb couldn't eat. He had to borrow a tomb because the tomb said I will not hold on to the king of kings and lord of lords. I don't know what it's like to bow down to an idol because my God got a heartbeat. My God got legs and he runs to my rescue. My God got paws and he picks me up when I can't pick up myself. My, my God got hands and he fights on my behalf. My, my God got lips and he prays when I can't. My, my God got power. My God got authority. My God got the kings, got the keys of death in his hand. My God is the resurrection. My God is the life. I, I will not give him a silent praise. I, I will not let the rocks cry out on my behalf. I, I will not let doubt consume me. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, sin, where is your power? Oh, Satan, where is your authority? Oh, principal principalities, come see about me. I praise the resurrection. I praise the life. I praise the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I, I, I know grief and I know shame, but I know that all who go to sleep in my king, I will see them again. I, I praise the resurrection and the life. So I laugh at the audacity of the grave. I, my hands tremble with the earth because my God is good and his love never runs out on me. I praise him because he is alive. I resurrect my palms not just on this Sunday, but every day of my life when the darkness comes, I am reminded I was called out of the shadows into his marvelous life. I, I am reminded my, that the tomb that I lay in will also be borrowed because I will rise again with him. I I know the king of kings and he, he knows my name. I, I can face today because he lives. It's not just some song lyric. I, I can face today because he lives. Come, come cancer, come disease, come hell, come high water. I can face the day because he lived. Fear took his last breath on that cross. My sin lost its strength on that cross. Satan lost all rights to me on that cross. I, I know him, y'all. This ain't even a poem no more, but I, I praise him because he's alive. I, I worship him because he's alive. His, his blood still works. His blood still works. And I don't know what sin convinced you that you've gone too far from his hand, but Satan be a liar. He knows no truth. I, I'll praise the king and I'll, I'll worship the king and, and we'll cast down the doubts and we'll cast down the worry because the audacity of the grave is nothing but a laughing joke between my God and I see when death come I'm just passing through when death come I'm just walking through the shadow because my God already took the sting of death and came out on the other end good morning If you don't know, now you know, you know. Give it up one more time for the Jasmine Sims. Amen. There is a word from the Lord. We have heard lots of words from the Lord already today. Um, and I'm just going to do my little part. Um, I, I am in tradition since I was about five years old of saying Easter speeches, uh, and today is no exception. I'm going to say my Easter speech and get out of your way because folks got um, uh, brunch appointments and things like that to get to, so we're going we gonna to do it like that, all right? Uh, thank all of you for the birthday wishes. 
I've never had to preach on my birthday before, let alone on Easter, and it's my birthday. Um, and so, amen. Thank you. Thank you. I am, uh, I turned 42 today, which I realized that 42 is the age where you just speak your mind, and you just, like, you just, as <laughs> it's, it's the old folks would say, it's getting late in the evening. <laughs> you just... Ain't enough time to beat around the bush. It's just what it is. Amen. But I want to jump into a sermon called Resurrection Power. We're in this series called titled God's Son. It's a takeoff on Nas's classic album. And so all month we are using themes from that album or Nas tracks or uh, different Nas songs. Uh, today, of course, is one mic. Um, I will be the, the, the final one on the mic, and I'm just going to try to do my part. But I want to talk about resurrection power today. So bow with me in a word of prayer, please. Lord, thank you for your resurrection power. Thank you for that blood that still works. I pray that you will meet us in this moment of preaching uh, in a way that will be transformative to us. Some of us do this and we hear this every Sunday, but for somebody here, it is their first time or one of the few times that they are listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will make today special for them, and I just want to be a part of that program. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Resurrection power. A strange thing happened in the first century in the ghetto. In a small backwater area in Galilee, these strange legends and folk tales, they seemed, were being told. Rumblings of Miracles, unexplained things happening. It wasn't happening among educated people. It was happening amongst the mostly illiterate, common, lower class people. But there was a strange consistency about all of these tales that were being told. A weird similarity between everybody's stories, so much so that it seemed that this could not be a collusion or a conspiracy to make up these folk tales. Too similar, too alike. All of them linked back to this local guy named Jesus. This Jesus was well known in Nazareth. They knew him, they knew he was Mary's boy. And the older folks who had the tea remembered that there was some question about who exactly was this boy's daddy. They recalled that his mama had gone out of town to stay with her cousin Elizabeth, and when she came back to Nazareth, she came back pregnant. And the word was that Joseph was saying that this baby wasn't his. That that little boy whose birth had an asterisk next to it, was now a grown man, and he was at the center of all of this miracle talk. It is a reminder to all of us that it ain't where you start, it's how you finish. The truth of the matter is, some of you were born with asterisks next to your birth, but you sit here today as living witnesses that it ain't where you start. It's how you finish. This Jesus is at the nexus of this miracle talk. The word is that blind people are receiving sight. People with walking disabilities are walking. Sickness is being healed and the natural laws of agriculture, farming, and fishing are being subverted as he feeds 5,000 people plus by multiplying two sardines and five biscuits. But among all of the miracles, there was this one type that suspended logic and reason the most. This one thing was that dead people who had transitioned from earth to eternity were all of a sudden being made alive again. That this kind of miracle was different from the others. That this kind of miracle was calls for pause when people heard about it. This kind of miracle suggested that there is something different about this miracle worker. And it is that this person has resurrection power. 
And that's all that I want to talk about today is resurrection power. The, the power, the uncanny ability that Jesus has to give new life. And I don't know if that feels relevant to anybody here, but it feels good to me to know that the one in whom I place my faith has resurrection power. Maybe you've shown up here today in need of something to be restored in your life. Something that seems to be a total loss. Something that seems unredeemable. Something that is hopeless. May I tell you that the good news today is that Jesus has resurrection power. How is it that I know that Jesus has resurrection power? Well, I know it first of all because of the story of Lazarus. In John chapter 11, verse 17, it says about Jesus, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. In the story, Jesus arrives at the familiar home in Bethany of his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Or Lazarus, if, you're from the south, if he's from the south side. Lazarus, Lazarus, whatever. By that time, Lazarus had already been laid to rest in the tomb for four days by the time Jesus gets there. They had reached out to Jesus earlier to come when Lazarus was sick. Surely they didn't just reach out because they wanted Jesus to have some final moments with Lazarus. Surely they didn't reach out because they wanted to make sure that Jesus got a chance to hear or say some parting words to Lazarus. But I assume that they reached out to let Jesus know that Lazarus was sick. Because they believed and hoped for Jesus' intervention. They had heard and perhaps seen him work all kinds of miracles in other people's lives. And now they were asking him to do it for them. But according to the text, Jesus delayed. Let me suggest to you that it won't induce a lot of shouting amongst Christians, but I think responsible theology admits that Sometimes Jesus delivers, but sometimes he delays. Not only do I see it in the text, but I've seen it in my own life too. Sometimes at those things that I ask for, Jesus indeed delivers. And it is an opportunity for a testimony, a story of again how he has came through. Sometimes, if I were to be honest as a preacher, I pray, I ask, and sometimes rather than showing up as the one who delivers, sometimes all he does is delay. That's what happens in the story here with Mary and Martha. Verse 5 says that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but he stayed where he was two more days before getting on his way to go see Lazarus. But by the time that Jesus leaves to go, Lazarus is already dead. Not only has Lazarus passed away when he gets there, but he has been in that tomb for four whole days. Martha runs out to meet him as Jesus gets close to the house, and she says to them, if you had been here, I don't know how it reads in your Bible. In your Bible, it might read, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In my Bible, the way it reads is, if you had been here, she didn't run all the way out there to console Jesus and say some soft words. I believe she ran out there. Because there was a conversation that she felt she needed to have between her and Jesus that needed to be had. Because I called you and I told you it was urgent and you had the audacity to delay. 
She says, but even now, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus. He calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And John says that Lazarus came up and stood at the front of the tomb, wrapped in strips of linen and with cloth wrapped around his face. Verse 44, Jesus says, take those grave clothes off of him. He'll come back for him another time. Jesus' delay could not stand in the way of his deliverance here. It speaks to what I used to hear the old people say when I was growing up in church. He may not come when you want him. But there is something about the timing of God that he's always there on time. Yes, he has resurrection power. I know it because of the story of Lazarus, but I also know that he has resurrection power because of the story of the widow of Nain's son. I read that in Luke chapter 7. In Luke 7, the word says that Jesus, his disciples, and a large crowd of people were all about to enter into this little town called Nain. But as they are going in, there is a procession of people, a big crowd coming out, uh, literally right at the city gate. There is Jesus and his entourage and this widow who is about to bury her only son and her entourage, her funeral procession, colliding with each other. Literally, right at the city gate, misery and mercy were colliding. The, the, the misery of the funeral procession collided at the exact time when the mercy of Jesus Christ was entering the city. Luke 7 and 11 says, soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. The large crowd from the town was with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Now, to see the story, you got to really understand what's so sad about it. There's some context that the writer is providing in the story that you cannot gloss over because a first century reader would have understood what was meant by providing that context. Luke says that she is a widow. And lying on that crude coffin is not just her son, but her only son. The, the only legal heir to any property that her deceased husband may have owned, he is the provider for the family. He is the security that stood between this woman and destitution. So in a very real way, her survival was laying in that coffin. Her hope was lying in that coffin. The, the woman is literally on her way to bury her hope. This is a tragic loss. And perhaps this is the reason why there is such a large crowd of people in this funeral procession. This is a high-profile funeral. The townspeople were showing their deep Empathy And verse 13 says, when Jesus' crowd intersected with her crowded procession, he saw her and his heart went out to her. What happened next disrupted the plans of the funeral director. What, what happened next left the cemetery undertaker confused on whether he would still get paid for this burial plot. Well, what happened next perplexed the repast coordinator as she wondered if they would still need the caterer to deliver that food for the repast. Yes, Jesus touched that crude coffin and he said, young man, get up. And Luke says that at that moment, the, widow, the widow's son stood up, began to speak, and Jesus, watch the language here, gave him back to his mother because of what her losing him meant for her, Jesus gave him back to his mother. It is implying that all that this young man meant for her 
for the economic security of this woman, for the well-being of this mother, this widow who was about to bury her hope, Jesus gives all of this back to her. Verse 15 says, the dead man sat up and began to speak. Jesus gave him to his mother. You know, that's really good news this morning. Because somebody showed up here today with buried, with buried hope. You have had your own idiosyncratic procession to pronounce final words, ashes to ashes and dust to dust over your hope. Can I speak to you, though, this resurrection morning and tell you that perhaps Jesus wants to have an intervention with your interment? Perhaps Jesus, like he did here, wants to make your misery collide with his mercy, wants to create an encounter between your hopelessness and his help. And so if you have arrived here hopeless today, I want to let you know that I know a man who has resurrection power. That he restores hope. He restores broken dreams. He restores faith. He restores our loss of self. I know a God that has resurrection power. Let me close this. I know that he has resurrection power. I know it because of the story of Lazarus. I know he has resurrection power. I know it because of the story of the widow of Nain and how Jesus got her son up. But, but the final reason that I know that he has resurrection power is because of what happened on a morning like this one. 2,000 years ago. It's the story of Jesus. It was early. Real early. The sun had not yet fully woken up from its slumber. The birds hadn't even started to sing yet. The, the air was still misty. I, I don't know if you go to the air, have ever had to catch an early flight, but you leave the house early and the air is still wet and sticky from the fog and the dew from the night. It's like that at this point. It was early. The women had gone to the tomb. I'm not certain why they decided to make it such an early rendezvous. But, but I do know that they were motivated to anoint Jesus' body. You see, he had died just a couple of days earlier. He had been crucified, executed literally by the state, by the government, because he claimed to be a god and claimed to be a king. As he had pissed off the temple, and by saying then that he was a king, he had pissed off Caesar. And so he is at the crux of being on the wrong end of the religious institution and the wrong end of the governmental institution, and it is at that intersection that's caused the occasion for his execution. So he had been executed just about 48 hours ago, gruesomely executed. But there was a, a quaking of the earth, a shaking, a rumbling that happened when he died. In earthquake, they perceived, and so in haste, they took his body down and they buried it in haste without ritual, without anointing, without any of those things. They buried that body in haste. No time for anointing his body. And so the, the women who were his followers decided to do the right thing by their leader. We're going to go back and give him a proper burial. So they got up early to do it. When they got there, it looked like somebody had beaten them to the tomb because the stone was rolled away. They went inside and they did not find the body there. Lying there was not their leader's body, only the cloth that had been wrapped around him. But they went outside the tomb and one of the women began to weep and she was confused by somebody that she thought was the gardener. The gardener asked, Woman, why are you weeping? Dr. Gardner C. Taylor says, it's a strange question to ask somebody in the cemetery. Why are you weeping? 
The cemetery is a place for weeping. The woman says, in effect, somebody has robbed the tomb. If you know where he's been taken or if you are the one that took him, just tell me where you buried him so I can go get his body. Perhaps what was going through her mind was how could the tomb be empty? I just watched them with my own eyes 48 hours ago lay his lifeless body in this tomb. How could this tomb be empty? I was here just a few days ago, and I watched them cover the tomb with a stone. How could the tomb be empty? How could the tomb be empty when I just saw them a few days ago lay hope for the future in this tomb? I just saw them a few days ago lay all that was good about the world in this tomb. I just saw them lay future of all of us as his followers into this tomb. How could this tomb be empty? How could it be empty when he just died a few days ago? When hope just died a few days ago? How could it be empty when dreams just died a few days ago? How could it be empty when redemption just died a few days ago? How could it be empty My siblings, you and I have the privilege this morning as I get ready to close to know answers to her question that she did not know in that moment. We have the privilege of sitting 2,000 years on the other side of this woman's question. We have the privilege of knowing something that this woman in this perplexing moment did not know. To her question. How could the tomb be empty? How is it that hope is no longer buried? How is it that dreams are no longer buried? How is it that life and possibility is no longer buried? You and I can answer that question this morning. The reason that I know it is no longer buried is because Jesus has resurrection power. How do I know it? How do I know it? Because... I know it because I have heard the story. I I know it because I have read the rest of the story. But, But there is also another group of us here today that don't just know that he's got resurrection power because we've read the rest of the story. Not simply because we have heard the rest of the story, but but there is a group of us here today that knows that he has resurrection power, that he has the power to give life to something that has died because he has exercised resurrection power in your life. Do I have a witness? Somebody woke up here early this morning visiting the familiar tomb where their joy had been buried only to find that day that the grave was empty. Jesus with his resurrection power had brought your joy back. Somebody here woke up one morning, once again, to visit the grave where their self-esteem had been buried, only to find that that morning, the stone had been rolled back. That that where your self-esteem had been buried, where your sense of self had been buried, where your good feelings at all about yourself had been buried, where your self-hatred lied. That it was no longer there. That Jesus, through his resurrection power, had given your self-esteem back. Had built you back up in the areas where you were broken. That he tore down the lies that you believed about yourself that he told you that, that, that the lies that others had told to you about yourself were indeed lies, and he replaced it with his truth that I love you, that you are my own, that you are my daughter, that you are my son. Somebody has experienced his resurrection power. Well, as I close, that's not even the best part of it. Somebody woke up early one morning to visit that familiar grave where their soul had been buried. Where their cleanness, their righteousness, their goodness had been buried. 
Songwriter aptly said some time ago, when I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shores within, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. Some of us were at that place, very deeply stained within, drowning in our sin and guilt. But thank God that the song doesn't just end there. It says, then the master of the sea. I'm just going to preach to myself because y'all on something different today. Then the master of the sea heard my disparaging cry. From the waters he lifted me and now safe am I. Jesus' resurrection power not only resurrected broken dreams, not only resurrected low self-esteem, not only resurrected hopelessness, but thanks be to God that Easter Sunday morning is about how his resurrection power gave new life to our dying souls. Yes, he restored our righteousness. And he causes us, I don't know how he does it, but somehow he causes us when God looks at us for God to not see our dirtiness, for God to not see any of those things, for God to not see our past, but he sees our glorious future and declares us as righteous. Yes. Let me close with this final illustration. A few days ago, we went to see Air. Anybody seen Air yet? The story of of the, you got to go see that movie if you haven't seen it yet. But it has me in all kinds of nostalgia about growing up as a Chicago kid during the Michael Jordan era. Crazy about Michael Jordan, so much so that my parents bought me this basketball hoop called the Jordan Jammer. I know some of y'all are young millennials and Gen Z. You don't know nothing about the Jordan Jammer, but the Jordan Jammer was the adjustable height basketball rim that you put inside your room. It was plastic, and it had a picture of Jordan on it, and you just dunk on it, dunk on it, dunk on it. And that is exactly what I did. So much so that the Jordan Jammer did not last very long. <laughs> Didn't last very long. And, and so I, I broke the Jordan Jammer because I thought, it's a Jordan jammer. You're supposed to jam like Jordan on this thing. So I was jamming like Jordan. I broke this thing, and um, um, my parents took it back to Toys R Us. And they took back this used Jordan jammer to Toys R Us that I had broken. And lo and behold, Jordan Toys R Us replaced the Jordan jammer. And so we got a new Jordan jammer. My dad put the Jordan jammer together. It's back in my room, and I was jamming like Jordan. The second Jordan jammer did not last very long either. I broke the second Jordan jammer too, and they took it back to the store. That broken Jordan jammer, Toys R Us, gave us a new one. Brought that Jordan jammer home and put that Jordan jammer together. And they said, now this time, if you break it, it's on you. Let me tell you the little moral of this story. Back in those days, people stood behind products. What Toys R Us understood was that when my parents brought that Jordan jammer back, they could give them a new one because they, Toys R Us, could send it back to the maker to the manufacturer, and the manufacturer would make them whole for what they had lost. I go to my seat saying that I am excited about the resurrection power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because it says something to me. That the God that I serve does not allow me to take a complete ale. My maker, when I am broken, when my hope is buried, when, when my dreams are buried, somehow or another, I don't know how he is able to reverse the processes of time and the processes of decomposition. But somehow the maker is the one that makes me whole again. And it is for that reason 
that I thank God for his resurrection power. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your resurrection power. Thank you that we don't just know it because we've read or heard, but because we've lived it. Thank you. I pray that we will live a life in light of the fact that the grave is empty and we serve a God who has all power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Won't you praise God for his word?